Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am your host, David Rothkopf, and I am here in New York City. Also in New York City, although a different corner of New York City, is our regular co-host this time of the week, Ryan Goodman of Just Security and NYU Law School. How are you doing, Ryan? Um, okay, under the circumstances. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get to that. This will be a therapy session for Ryan. Um, we are joined today by two great guests, Jeremy Kaneindyke, uh, who is a senior policy fellow at the Center for Global Development, Jeremy served in the Obama administration as director of USAID's Office of Foreign Disaster Assistance, which oversaw, among other things, uh, response to major public health crises. Um, and uh, he is currently a member of the World Health Organization's Independent Oversight and Advisory Committee, which advises on issues such as the kind that we are discussing now. Also, uh, and hi, Jeremy, how are you? Hello. Uh, great to be here. Also, we are joined by Juliette Kayyem, who is a Belfast Senior Lecturer in International Security at the Kennedy School at Harvard. Uh, she was President Obama's Assistant Secretary for Intergovernmental Affairs at the Department of Homeland Security. She has been deeply involved in global health projects, including at the Kennedy School, and she is the founder of Kayyem Solutions, LLC, which provides strategic advice and resiliency planning, risk management, and the like. Hi, Juliet. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Very glad to have you here. So let me uh, let me begin with you, Juliet. You know, we talked a while ago about where this was going. Yeah. Uh, the, the United States um, has had uh, uh, not just an explosion of, uh, of of the coronavirus, but of press conferences by government officials yeah. uh, a, 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 asserting that they are getting things done, but uh, <laughs> we're still lagging on things like tests, uh, and the president seems to be, you know, hawking miracle cures from yeah. the from the stage at the White House. So maybe maybe you could give us a, your sense yeah, of where. So- we're- yeah, and I think last time we talked, it was sort of like it was coming. We weren't sure. I mean, we're in the, you know, we're at the beginning of the response stage for those of us who, you know, do crisis management. So, um, and we, let's just put it this way, we failed to take the time or the time that we were given those six or eight weeks while China was trying to contain it or isolate it to really prepare ourselves, our communities, our hospitals with with the kind of um, information and materials and assets that they would need. So if the last week seemed insane in the sense of how did we go from zero to 60 in in five minutes and how did you know how did the how did the guidance go from no no facility uh greater than 500 to 50 to 10 in a matter of six days right so that's that's what we've all experienced um it was a failure to sort of prepare the public uh for what was coming including you know state and local leadership so what we see is just a really, you know, if I could step outside myself, I would say fascinating, but obviously none of us can step outside ourselves because we're all impacted by it. But um, I've never seen anything like this before, where you essentially saw governors and mayors wake up a lot faster than the federal government um, to do the kind of uh, um you know, responses that were necessary to flatten the curve, slow the spread, all the all the um, all the words that we now know by heart. Um, so uh, and the federal government only followed suit later. Um, the federal government, I will just end with this is um, so this is so this is where we are. This is America's uh, first 50 state disaster. Um, we've never had one before. We've had regional ones. We've never had one. We've had and we've had you know, disasters that impact the nation. 
and like 9-11, but we've never had one in which the public safety and public health apparatus were going to be under stress, as they often are. And as I wrote in an Atlantic piece, that just from an operational level is a challenge because most states are dependent on other states for help. It's called mutual aid. It's why Massachusetts firefighters can go to California when there's a trouble. It's why, you know, Tennessee uh, um, yeah, search and rescue folks can go to New York during Hurricane Sandy. It's a, it's a, just a process that we work under. That process is now won't exist. No state is going to give up any of its capacity to another state. So you have all the states on their own, even though they're planning for ratcheting up always involved other states. And then the second piece to that is just what we've seen over the last couple of days, let alone just looking back by weeks, um, um, is you know the failure of the federal government to understand its role in disaster management. It is, it is actually a, a, a thing provider. I mean, whatever Donald Trump said today is he, you know, he didn't want to be just a mailroom or whatever it was he said um, about um, rejecting calls for him to to do the national defense uh, meant, uh, to have defense manufacturing uh, done. Um, it was uh, the states are on their own, um, so that. On the front end, they're very slow with testing kits. And on the back end, we're just outrageously, inexplicably slow on just providing our, our, our health facilities with what they need. I mean, it's not hard. It's logistics. That's all it is. It's logistics. And they just are screwing that up, too. Vaccines are hard. This is easy. I get something from point A to point B. Anyway, so that's sort of where we are. Well, I would say it's not just logistics. It's logistics and will. And yeah. That's and, right. and and will is the missing factor in a number of these cases, uh, maybe plus vision. Uh, Jeremy, my question to you is much the same, evaluated, but uh, let me put it in the context. Yeah, I, I, I assume that uh, both both all all of you have seen this uh, New York Times article uh, that uh, our deep state radio colleague David Sanger, uh, plus Eric Lipton, Eileen Sullivan, and Michael Crowley wrote today, which is called "Before Virus Outbreak." A cascade of warnings went unheeded. Uh, and I can only imagine, Jeremy or Juliet, when you hear the president say, well, no one could have predicted this, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, you know, th that, it, you know, just must make your 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 blood boil. And, you know, when I was hearing him say it, I was thinking, yeah, who could have predicted it except every generation of human beings who have ever lived on the planet Earth? Because these things have happened since yeah. the dawn of time. Uh, but the president is yeah. is not very um, outwardly focused, shall we say? Over to you, Jeremy. Yeah, I What's think your... to any to anyone who, yeah, I, um, and apologies. There's a little bit of dog jangling in the background at the perils of uh, working from home um, during a during a pandemic. Um, you might hear some kids stomping too. Um, yeah, you know, I think to anyone who has followed these issues even a little bit for the last, well, really any time in the last decade. It's just a stunning admission of his own ignorance. Um, the the, I mean, just start with the fact that the, the the all of the headlines following the Ebola outbreak were, oh dear God, what will we do with something that's much much worse? Um, you know, the the Ebola outbreak I think was a was a really pivotal moment, in, you know, for many people. Certainly, my own kind of my own career, my own awareness of these issues, in. Um, seeing up close just how deeply unready the world was for something that would be much more complex. And um, you know, a, a key takeaway from the Holy Bowl experience was you have to start early. And if you don't lock it down early, you will have a much harder time. Um, so the, you know, the, the, that, then, um, that then prompted a lot of uh, subsequent planning. And the, the, the Obama administration took this as an issue so incredibly seriously that in the transition exercises that um, that were held between the incoming and the outgoing national security councils, this was actually part of the transition exercise was planning for a pandemic event because um, you know it had really seared into the kind of the, the membranes of so many people in the Obama administration. So it was clearly a risk. It was clearly a recognized risk, and it was a re it was a risk that um, you know much of the national security establishment had become attuned to. It was also in. You know, it was in National Intelligence Council reports on a regular basis. Um, there was the report in the New York Times about the, today about this HHS review from uh, from last year that also identified this as a huge issue. 
So, you know, as a nobody could see this coming, that's just complete, that's just complete bunk. Um, but then the second, I think there's a second level to that, which is that even if you had no awareness of these sorts of risks prior to uh, the beginning of January of this year, the moment that, that uh, the world saw what was happening in, in Wuhan, China in mid to late January, that should have shaken everyone out of, you know, whatever torpor they might have been in because we were seeing hospitals in a modern metropolis with a sophisticated health system go down, um, become completely overwhelmed by the explosion of this virus. And there was no good reason watching that to think it couldn't happen here. And there was every reason to think it could. Um, and so in the face of that, uh, with basically a two-month head start, because it's only now that we're seeing the kind of overwhelming case levels um, here that, that were occurring in China in, in mid-January, with a with a two month head start, they did virtually nothing, uh, and it just I mean it is stunning. It is just flat out stunning. It's one thing to say, you know, we weren't prepared when we saw it happen in China. It's a very different thing to say we saw what happened in China and still didn't think we should prepare. And um, and so we've had we've wasted two months. We've gone from inaction through most of that period to I think a posture of reaction now. But we need to be proactive, not reactive. And they're still not there yet. Frankly, I'm starting to wonder if they can be. Hey, listeners, if you haven't already, you might want to check out and subscribe to Eurasia Group Foundation's new podcast, None of the Above. It offers new ideas and answers to America's most pressing foreign policy questions. Increasingly, as you know, everyday American voters feel that their preferences are not accurately reflected in Washington. They find themselves dissatisfied with the status quo. None of the above is designed to offer something different. The host, Mark Hanna, interviews global thinkers, journalists, and activists on the issues we care most about. You'll hear in-depth conversations with foreign policy luminaries like our friend Stephen Wald, as well as some less usual suspects like uh, Cal Penn or Andrew Basovich. None of the above is produced by the Eurasia Group Foundation, a nonprofit founded by Ian Bremmer and dedicated to helping people make meaning out of the impact that geopolitics has on their lives and bringing non-traditional voices into the national conversation about foreign policy and national security. So uh, give a listen to None of the Above, uh, a very interesting new podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Well, I think that's a I think that's a real legitimate question, Ryan. I mean, we, uh, you know, Julia talked about this being the first fifty state disaster, um, but you know, in my lifetime, uh, which I'm reluctant to admit is longer than the lifetimes of each of the three of you, um, although as my father would say, that's better than the alternative. Uh, the, uh, I've never seen a situation where the government was so not up to a crisis, not up to learning about the crisis, had no learning curve. You know, Katrina was bad. And after a while, they realized it was bad and they tried to fix it. Um, uh, the Bush administration response to Iraq was catastrophic, but the last couple of years of the Bush administration, they managed to find their way to get back on on track. There have been bad responses from the United States government. The Reagan administration response to AIDS was terrible, but gradually we learned. These guys not don't learn, and instead they come out every day with some announcement of something that is designed to distract from the fact that they're still not deploying tests, they still are not dealing with the logistical problems that Juliet is talking about, whether it's masks or ventilators. They still are not dealing with the core issues. And so instead they say, oh, there's going to be hospital ships. And then you know, a couple hours later, somebody says, well, actually, there probably won't be for a while. Uh, or we're meeting with all these uh, companies and there's going to be a website, except there isn't. Uh, or there are going to be these drive-through test centers, except they're not. Uh, and or, then today, or the Navy ship, but it's going to be several weeks until that goes out. And yeah. it's stunning. It's just thing after thing after Sunny. thing. Everything it's, they announce, you find out two hours later is wrong. No, it's, 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 it's astonishing. It's, it's, it's it, there is no learning curve here, Ryan. You, you've been in the government. You've yeah. seen how the government is supposed to work in this kind of thing. What's your what? You know, it's this is this is an unprecedented level of dysfunction. 
And I'm just wondering whether you have a diagnosis. <laughs> um, well, I, I think the diagnosis is that this is the way Trump runs his organizations. Um, and I thought the two pieces this week in the New York Times were just devastating in tracking on a kind of a, not day by day, but almost a day by day walk through parts of the crisis and how it unfolded and this gross mismanagement inside the Trump team, uh, elevating uh, Jared Kushner into a role that no human being would ever think objectively he should be in the room, let alone uh, stewarding the um, pathway of events for the government, um, having uh, Trump concerned mostly about this as a media um, event and trying to cover for himself personally, and then um, officials not wanting to uh, get out of line with the public messaging, um, and all sorts of disarray and dysfunction with respect to how the bureaucracy would otherwise work in a crisis mode. And people had written about it before, but just I thought the New York Times' coverage of it this week was possibly the sharpest critique of the administration to date because it showed all these pathologies at work inside yeah. the coronavirus crisis. It was, so for me, that was the piece. Um, yeah. uh, could have been the book that was like Trump's you know, failed war against the coronavirus, um, or I think his Politico called it World War C. Um, so I thought, I, I think that's right. And then I just wanted to underscore um, one piece, which is it's not just that the Obama team gave the Trump team a warning and they went through an exercise during the transition, the presidential transition about a pandemic like this. But um, what you had referred to earlier, I just want to put a punctuation mark in it, uh, David, which is the New York Times report today about this quote-unquote crimson contagion, a, um, a simulation that the uh, Trump team did and ended with a report in October of 2019 demonstrating all of the failures within the system, well, not all, but many of the failures within the system. And I just want to focus on one piece, which is something that I'm um, fixated on, um, as many people are as well, which is the uh, lack of personal protective equipment for medical staff in these hospitals, because I think they are our front line. And if we're trying, if, if all of us are trying to flatten the curve because we don't want to um, overwhelm the healthcare system, one of the other ways to overwhelm the healthcare system is to hollow it out from within because we're not protecting these people. And if people want to look at the report that was produced in October 2019, I would suggest go to page 39. It's just incredible. The, the headline is resources. The first thing under resources is scarcity. The first thing under scarcity are the words, the current medical countermeasure supply chain and production capacity cannot meet the demands imposed by nations during a global influenza pandemic. And then it refers to twice the problems of getting personal protective equipment to medical personnel. So they, they knew it. Uh, they knew it uh, before this ever began. Well, Juliet, I heard you in the background making various agreeing noises. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, it, it's, so, and this is what, so someone who's been in, in on the response side, so I'm very careful. I'm not a doctor. I just, I hear what all the doctors and health people say on the response. Side. It's like, he, the, the, so the horror of a pandemic, of course, is you don't know what it's com when it's coming. It's invisible. It doesn't have that sort of defining moment like a hurricane or, you know, even, you know, 9-11. Like, I, I mean, I, I was talking to mayors today and I opened up with like, give me a hurricane any day now, right? Because you don't have that moment where you can galvanize. On the other hand, the benefit of it is you got a lot of time to prepare for it if you're lucky if it starts in China, which this is, you know, this is the thing that is just so frustrating for so many of us is, you know, you, you, it's will, of course, but it's, it's, it's like, you can't even, you can't even get into the headspace where you would see this thing coming. You know what you need, or you know what you have, you know what you need, and no one's doing anything. And that's not just, you know, it's on the, it's on all the uh, personal protective equipment. It's on, um, it's on um, uh, the testing kits, of course, and it's going to be on the surging of um, hospital capacity and care capacity. Um, 
on the um, on the other side. Now, I don't know what I don't know what ha I mean. I do know. I know that it takes will, and I know that for this not to be happening requires an affirmative. Don't have this happen from the White House. In other words, these are systems that are sort of locked and loaded, no different than search and rescue is for the Coast Guard. You know, it's just like it's sort of like you don't go to the White House for everything. Something's gone very bad, whether it's it's the production or the manufacture of materials or the distribution. And that is, I think, just clearly from a White House that is either bad in the sense that they're not getting it and they don't know how to do it, um, or is is, is something else. And I just, I, maybe I can't let my brain go there, but I just like, I don't know what, what the something else is. So Jeremy, um, I, what's your diagnosis? I, so I think it's, it's a little hard to tell, you know, none of us are in the inside. It's a little hard to tell how overt it was versus, uh, perhaps, um, something implied or, or kind of understood. I think what is very, very clear from looking at how this has played out is the president did not want this to be something that he was going to have to deal with. He, um, you know, he consistently downplayed it. So, you know, you can, I think we need to, so I think we need to kind of distinguish a little bit what, what, what's kind of what failure is unique to this administration and what sure. failure is shared across many administrations. I think sure. our general, we, we generally have an abysmally low level of, of baseline preparedness for a pandemic right. in this country. Um, and we have an abysmally weak public health infrastructure relative to what we need to have. Um, there was a, a good piece in the New York Times a week or two ago looking at just the huge degradation in, in budget cuts in public health investments over the past uh, 20 years. That is not the Trump administration's fault. It is equally their fault to every, you know, every previous administration in recent years, but that's been a shared problem. However, that's also a recognized problem. And things like the, the, the report and, and Ryan's you know, reference in, in the report pointing out the, the, the weaknesses in PPE, we know we're weak. We know that we are not sufficiently ready for that. And so that should mean that as soon as we see a, an indication somewhere in the world that there is a pandemic bubbling up that we, it should be a, I don't know if I can curse on this show. Can I curse on this show? Mm -hmm. no, yeah. we, should, encourage, we encourage it. Good. Fact, okay. That, kind I mean, of that, disappointed should be, haven't yet. that should be a holy shit moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that should be the moment where you go, Oh shit, we are deep in it. We need to get rolling here because we know that if this starts doing in the U S what it's doing in China, we're nowhere close to ready. But you know, with the, you know, and if you buy the, the idea that, that the travel the travel restriction bought us some time which i think is mixed but just for the sake of argument let's say that did the best evidence says that that sort of thing maybe buys you two to three weeks so you put yeah. those on you figure you're buying yourself two to three weeks maybe a month on the outside if you're lucky so you figure the clock is ticking from that moment the clock is ticking we have a month to pull a manhattan project on ppe supply and hospital readiness in this country and through that whole period nothing i mean literally nothing through yeah. that whole period, the risk is low. The situation is under control. We are not seeing transmission in the United States. We know now that was all false. I don't think it was willfully false. I think it was uh, false because they were blind because of the testing mishaps and the narrow case definition, but it was false nonetheless. I don't think they were, you know, Tony Fauci goes up and says that. I believe he believes what he's saying. So I don't think he, I don't think he was, he would not intentionally deceive the public, but I think that they were blind to it because of errors of judgment. And, um, and so, you know, why were they blind to it? I think they were blind to it in part because um, the president exerts a very strong gravitational pull on the, the federal government. I'm, in, in, you know, Brian and mm -hmm. Juliet, I'm sure, have experienced this as well. You, don't, you never want to be the person who's kind of the skunk at the, at the, at the sit-room table um, putting out the idea that the president has made clear he doesn't want to hear. So, you know, did the president explicitly say, don't prepare? I'm sure he didn't. Um, everyone around him understood that his priority was the stock market, avoiding panic, avoiding a scare. Well, you're going to freak the stock market out if you go yeah. and say U.S. hospitals are deeply unready for a Wuhan-like scenario and we are ramping up emergency PPE. It's the responsible thing to do, but it would freak the markets out. Now, in retrospect, not nearly as much as they have since freaked out, but that's kind of the point, right? Um, and so I think they, you know, they blew this week and it's a little, rather this month of preparedness and, yeah. and 
the the low risk rhetoric it's the equivalent of you know if you see a you see a hurricane so i come from a disaster response background so you mm-hmm. see a hurricane pointing towards florida it has just leveled two or three islands in the caribbean and it's gaining strength but it hasn't made landfall yet mm-hmm. you can see it coming but it's not here well yeah the people standing on the shore right now their risk is low right now that doesn't mean their risk is low and that doesn't mean the situation is under control and it certainly doesn't mean they shouldn't be getting the hell off the beach but that was basically the posture through most of february all right so you're doing the right thing you're trapped inside uh you're you're self-quarantining you're washing your hands you're not touching your face uh and you're asking yourself a question a lot of people ask themselves which is what do i do now um now you know there's no sporting events on Uh, And I'm not recommending that you undertake anything that you wouldn't otherwise undertake. But, you know, there's some interesting options out there. And one of them is a sponsor that has come to us, uh, an organization called MyBookie. And they have a whole host of kind of betting options that are associated with everything political. So what somebody's going to say in a debate, who's going to win a debate, who's going to you know, what developments are going to happen internationally, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, we in the government used to use things like these these markets as a way of predicting outcomes because you would see the, the wisdom of crowds and all of that. Uh, you might do it for that reason or you might do it because it's fun or you might do it because you might win a little bit of money. Um, uh, but, you know, it's something you might want to go and take a look at. And if you join now, uh, and you go to mybookie.ag and use the promo code Deep State, you get a 50% deposit bonus. So uh, you go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code, all one word, Deep State, and get this 50% deposit bonus uh, because at mybookie, you can bet on anything. And we'll be interested to hear how that is for you. Thank you. Well, but, you know, I, I'd like to turn this in a, in a more productive uh, direction in a moment with a question, which I'll start with Juliet, about um, the, pres- the prescriptive response to this and what we can do. But, um, Ryan, I, I want to turn to you and pick up on one of Jeremy's points here, um, because he was very kind and he said that he didn't think anybody was deliberately misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I don't agree. Um, uh, and, and I'm just interested in your perspective. And the reason I don't agree is the following. The president, um, we know is on the record is, or not on the record, but we know has been quoted as saying, oh, I don't want to let this boat into port because the, the, the numbers of people will make the statistics go up. And I don't want the statistics to go up. Uh, and it seems quite clear that the president has resisted or resisted, particularly in the early stages, focusing on testing because testing would make the numbers go up. And to me, that is willfully misleading the public. It's also undermining um, what uh, 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 the health community uh, has in order to control this. Um, and there are other there are other examples of this um, where the president seems to place his political, um, interests ahead of the interests of the country once again, as we saw in Ukraine and elsewhere. Um, and he laid out a narrative pretty early on. This is going to be over. We've got it under control. Larry Kudlow went out. Others went out. Uh, and he was very receptive to others who agreed with the narrative. His, his son-in-law came in and said, hey, yeah, this is psychological. It's not a real thing. Don't worry about it. And he said, okay, well, you can be involved. Uh, and so I think there was something, and I'll, someday perhaps we'll know what that was, a process. Uh, and I will just add to that um, the news that broke today, Ryan, and you can offer any comment you want on this, but, uh, you know, the, the story broke today that uh, the, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Richard yeah. Burr, um, uh, several weeks ago, told a number of his supporters that this thing could be really bad, even though that was not his public posture. And now, according to ProPublica, Um, It turns out that between then and now, he sold off between $582,000 million and $1.56 million of his stock holdings in 29 separate transactions. In other words, 
Richard Burr, the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, knew something bad was coming, mm. did not come forward with it, but oh, made wow. a bunch of stock transactions uh-huh. to, 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 to take advantage of that. And I mean, Lord knows what, you know, who else has done what else, but I guess three and a half yeah. years into this administration, I expect the worst. Mm-hmm. Ryan, and then we'll get constructive with this, but Ryan, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> um, I think that um, clearly, I think that I, I think I do think that at each moment, Trump thinks that he can manage this in terms of public relations, and that if he needs to lie, he'll lie in the moment. And if the crisis gets worse, then he'll think of another lie at that next point. To cover the, and he doesn't care about if there's an inconsistency. It's just about what he needs in that particular each each particular moment. Um, so I definitely think there's been public deception from the White House that ha- and from the president that has led directly to people's lives being at risk. So that it used to be the case that some Republicans would say it's just what he says. It does. It's not what he actually does. But communicated from the president was, this is under control. Communicated from the president was, this is yeah. like the flu. Um, yeah. And yeah. that level of disinformation, Fox News is now maybe trying to reverse itself, but how do you put that back in the bottle? Um, just psychological evidence says it's so difficult for people to wrap their minds around such a, a change, you know, updating their information um, based on what they had been told for so many days upon end um, from the president. So I think that's deliberate. I think it's in his what it was in his personal self-interest. I do think, you know, I don't know how deep one can get into the psychoanalyzing of him, but part of it might also be his inability to take in the actual information at a certain mm-hmm. point, understand it. Um, I, because it, and that's I how he processes that. information. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I, agree with that. I mean, Ryan, I'm I I'm probably at a school that, you know, I, I don't I don't know if I even can get my head around motives or whatever. Um, there's a lot of dysfunction and crises and and disasters. We know that. We know um, none of them look good and and you know ever. I just I think there is a question, not about his not you know just can he process what is unfolding before him or I mean, in just an intellectual way. And I mean, look, it's hard for us and we all sort of live in this space for us. I mean, sometimes, I mean, you know, Jeremy, I sort of wonder you, but sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm on air and talking all rationally and whatever. And then like, I wake up at three in the morning and I'm like, Oh my God. Like, you know, it's not just me. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you're like, you're like, I need to be the calm person. And then you're like, God, it's hard sometimes. Yeah. You just sort of, you can't conceptualize it quite white. And so, um, so someone who had no inclination to be calm. So I, but on the, I, I'm going to, so I'm going to be hopeful because I had a hopeful moment today, um, which is, look, the, the, the world that, that Jeremy and I live in is you, you measure, you know, success by how, how much less harm there is because of your effort. So if you say, this is going to sound crude to everyone. I don't mean to. It's just an easy way to explain it. So if you say, you know, 10,000 people, 500,000 people will die. Mm. And um, and then, I, well, that's horrible. That's absolutely horrible. Yes, but the original calculation was 3 million. Then is that success or failure? Who knows? How, I mean, these are bad words to use, but it's just how much less harm will there be because of government efforts? Now, I have no doubt will be higher than it should be um, because of the failure of the federal government to do a number of things that we're seeing. But I believe that it will be less than my deepest, darkest fears in the absence of federal coordination um, because um, I think the ingenuity of local government, state government, I think federalism in a really interesting way is going to somewhat save us. It's not ideal. I'm not apologizing for the White House. I'm just saying I just spent the day with, you know, a couple hundred mayors and their staffs. That's something that Bloomberg put together, just sort of talking them through sort of a homeland security crisis, which most of them just deal as a, you know, it's just a, you know, most of them just deal with like a water break or something for the most part. Um, 
and and what it looks like and you know that's it's um it was inspiring so i don't so i just want to mention that so i do think federalism um uh, will also might may help us yeah but not federalism because the federal government has decided not to show up, right? No, I mean, it's, just, it's just that public safety and public health under the 10th Amendment reside with locals and states. That's the homeland. That's the world I lived in. That's what, but I'm not apologizing for the, the deficiencies in the White House. But when I have those moments of, oh my God, we are facing the largest disaster this country has ever faced in terms of its scope and bandwidth right now in terms of the homeland with a president who cannot function. Like, I mean, literally cannot make the the few things that are his sort of obligation work. And I would say it's going to be an unmitigated disaster across the board. And it pr probably will be. But I do also think that there are these, there's, I mean, you're probably, you, you know, you see it in the public health community. There's just these, there's a sort of singularity of focus on the ground level that may in some ways that, that may, you know, that, that are, that are also, shouldn't be lost in this horrible narrative. That's all I'm saying. Okay, well, no, let's pick up on that. And Jeremy, you know, here we are, and we know the federal government and the Trump administration is going to behave as they behave. Mm -hmm. You're going to get some areas where there is some modest progress um, uh, provided, you know, it sort of fits with the president's narrative. It's not going to be as much as you want or as fast as you want. Um, a lot of it's going to be for show and should be taken with a grain of salt. Um, but the states are doing some good stuff and cities are doing some good stuff. And so seeing all of that, given the next six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks or 16 weeks that we've got to deal with this, what, what do you prescribe? You know, but more, more of a focus on the cities and states, yeah. more of... Um, uh, uh, what should they be doing that they're not doing? Or who are the good examples that, that they ought to be emulating? Um, I think we do have to put our hope in the cities and states at this point. Uh, I think we can look to the feds for you know, technical guidance. You know, see if, if you need guidelines on how to reuse N95 mask, respirator masks. Uh, there are great CDC guidelines on that, and we can continue to count on CDC for those, you know, for that sort of technical support and advice. What I don't think we can count on the federal government for is coordination of leadership, and so you can, and and that's a that's a major that's a major problem, um, and you know one of the ways in which it's a major problem is you think of a place like New York City, uh, the New York metro area, or the DC metro area, you've got multiple different states and localities in in effect in in one in one population so diseases uh, an outbreak like this tends to move within a city and each city will have its own distinct outbreak and we saw that uh you know in the 19 the 1918 outbreak the, the very famous graph of the, the the curves from philadelphia and i think it was st louis um philadelphia kept its parades uh, going and st louis canceled their parades and st louis had far fewer cases so decisions that are made at a city level are very, very important. So you do need good decision-making at that level. Um, and you know, it's, not, it's not the federal government making decisions on behalf of mayors. The mayors have to make those decisions. Um, they're not really equipped to often right now because this isn't, as, as Julia said, this isn't the sort of crisis that they plan for. It's, it's a, a low percentage, um, kind of low probability, high impact event. Um, so they need they need to be equipped for that. They need support for that. And I think that's some of the work that she and I are each are each mm -hmm. doing um, to try and rapidly generate for them the kind of guidance they need. But this is, right. again, where the, the feds aren't stepping up. You know, the, where is the guide for mayors on yeah. how to fight coronavirus from the CDC? Yeah, it's it just, doesn't exist. It's, it's not there. And and if you look at a place like New York or CD or, or, or D.C., well, if D.C., Virginia and Maryland each decide to fight this differently, then you don't have a coherent approach within what is functionally a single population. And, well, there's uh, a story, and you get coherence a, and you get a train wreck. There's a story on Bloomberg um, uh, that, that, that came out about an hour ago um, that, that illustrates this in another way because Trump went out and said, states should buy their own medical supplies uh, yeah. to fight the coronavirus. Yeah. 
And yeah. then the governor of Massachusetts told Trump during the video conference call that they had today that three times his state went out to do that and lost out to the federal government on purchases of the supplies. Yeah. And so he's yeah. like, you know, if you're telling me to do this, but then you're outbidding me, you know, what, yeah. you know, how am I supposed to do it? So, I mean, it, that's complete breakdown of communication. There, yeah. Right? It's a breakdown of governance. Yeah, I mean, just very so, fundamental yeah. governance. Yeah. Sorry, Julie. Ryan, no, we have. I mean, I just, you know, look, as I said, there's, there's, you know, I, what I often say, say is, yeah, the coronavirus is new, crisis management is not. And this actually yeah. looks, I mean, exactly. it sort of is following, exactly. there's prevention and protection and, you know, all the things Jeremy was saying about, you know, you know, every administration did not invest in a, in a resilient system and we're, we're facing the consequences. I get that. This is now looking familiar too, but that's, that's what's so shocking is mm-hmm. it's so familiar that basic coordination, basic supply chain, basic you know, invocation of the, you know, Defense um, uh, Manufacturing Act, which would give a production act, excuse me, that would, you know, allow uh, uh, Trump to, you you pay these companies. It's not like you're taking them. You just pay them to prioritize certain production, that that was not invoked in any meaningful way. He said he invoked it and then took it back. These are like, um, these are, it's like if you talk to a brain surgeon, you know, who's done it a million times and, you know, and and it's like it, they don't even think about it, right? It's just sort of like that's the way it works. Or an OBGYN who delivers babies, like you, you know, you sort of there's you know there's there's the outliers, but for the most part, you just have this skill that's unique, uh, but it becomes familiar to you. For Jeremy and I, that's true with this, and yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the sort of surprising thing. You're like the system must be so much more broken than I thought that this yeah. is not working. Well, it's, it's it's also interesting because we always talk about the system um, being big and institutional and hard to move and hard to change. Um, but the reality is Trump came in and said, I'm not interested in advice. I'm not interested in expertise. I don't believe in science. I'm going to shut down on the advice of John Bolton, the part of the uh, National Security Council that evolved in order to deal with these things. I'm going to recommend undercutting the funding uh, to uh, CDC and the WHO and the other agencies that are responsible for these things. Uh, I'm going to minimize this when it happens. And all of a sudden, you can see in this particular case how influential one individual, the president, can be in short-circuiting or undermining that entire system. And, you know, apropos of the Burr case, you know, you also have, you know, questions that we can't answer right now. But the reality is the president of the United States is like, we're going to bail out today, he said, we're going to bail out the hotels. And he owns hotels. (laughs) You know, we're we're going to bail out the travel industry and he's in the travel industry. And clearly the value of every property he owns is going to vary based on the nature of this bailout. Um, and so there is, you know, sort of willful ignorance and there's ignorance and there's incompetence and there's corruption. Um, and, you know, we're getting a perfect storm of how do you screw up that kind of inbred know-how that, or you know, uh, that inherent know-how that that Juliet was talking about. Ryan, you can respond to that. We have about three, four minutes left. Mm-hmm. Or you could direct a question to Juliet and and Jeremy, because I, I, I haven't sort of prompted that out of you. And, <laughs> and J- Ryan and I had a very good conversation with Lori Garrett on Monday, and yeah. we're, we're, we're posing these questions. And maybe you have something that follows out of that, Ryan. Sure. Um, well, I guess there one question I have had um, for Jeremy and Juliet with your expertise is um, Trump is repeatedly saying something and there's not been much of a rebuttal from the media or others, which is the travel ban from China, right? So, mm-hmm. so he says, look at me, look at me, my genius. I did the travel ban when the WHO and others are telling me not to do that. And it was this. It was this miracle that worked. Or and then Fauci has, in some ways, vouched for it as well. And there have been other. You know, other countries have also moved towards travel restrictions of different sorts. How do you evaluate that? Do you think of it as 
um, yes, this is a something that he can claim uh, as a smart move, but there was no follow up, uh, so it doesn't really, you know, amount to much. Uh, or it was never a smart move. Or how do you how do you think I, about that? Because it's just it's part of the narrative that just has become uncontested in a certain sense. Yeah, I'd love to take a to, to yeah. take a, a few swings at that. Um, I, I would say it was a it was a defensible move that they squandered entirely. Mm-hmm. So you know it was a defensible move in that you know there is there is public health literature that suggests that you can delay arrival of um, a respiratory virus in your country through restrictions on travel, but you can only delay it. You can't you can't lock it out. And I think and and you know, the <clears throat> the literature varies, but the consensus is kind of in the two to four week range. Um, and and so, you know, there was a plausible basis to say, yeah, we're we want to we want to give ourselves as much time as possible to prepare. Let's do this, and then in conjunction with the lockdown in China, that will probably cut way down on, you know, temporarily cut way down on the arrivals. But you would never assume that it's going to keep it out. And I think the president's rhetoric and the kind of narrative that he was trying to promote, which you know, again, then exerts a gravitational pull on the rest of the bureaucracy, making it very difficult to contradict was this idea that we were keeping it out. We were successfully keeping it out and we were not seeing new cases. And I think you have to look at the testing failures and everything else kind of in the light of that narrative. Um, so I think it was defensible, but it perverted and prevented the kind of, of subsequent planning and preparedness that was needed because rather than the, the, you know, the idea being, we're gonna, we're gonna hit, this will buy us time. The idea was we don't need to do the other stuff because we're doing this and it's working. Mm. Um, the other piece of that, I think that's important is it, it actually, we now know it didn't work. The cases, yeah. the cluster that was spreading in Washington state traced back to the very first case on January 20. And that's been confirmed through gen- genomic testing or, or at least strongly suggested through genomic testing. So it means that from the mo- like literally before they had announced the travel ban, we already have localized spread in this country. And the general rule of thumb is once you have local spread, travel bans are basically irrelevant because you'll get far more case volume through local spread than you'll get through introductions from travelers. And that then needs to be your focus. So it also meant they were focused on the wrong thing almost from the word go. So let me offer, uh, you know, one last question here to Juliet where we'll wrap this up. Um, and, and, And having, you know, gone through now a litany of the problems that we've faced and the origins of some of those problems and some of the ways to solve it. We're still in early days. You know, you may, yeah. you began by saying we were in early days when you and I were with the, with the three of us first talked. We're still in early days here. And, um, you know, this is, I'm, I'm reminded of this because uh, I, I just saw, you know, that the governor of California sent a letter to Trump requesting a hospital ship. Mm. And in the letter to Trump, Gavin Newsom said, we project that roughly 56% of our population, 25.5 million people, will be infected with the virus yeah. over an eight-week period. Mm-hmm. You know, we that's like quantum levels beyond where we are right now. Is that what we're in store for? Because it does, you know, I mean, given everything else we've just talked about, it suggests that things could get much, much darker oh, yeah. before the dawn, right? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, this <laughs> people, I mean, when is, I don't know when you're publishing this, but uh, we in about, are. In about two hours. So. Okay, good. So we are um, at the very beginning of response. Like this is like activation. Like what we're doing is just basically buying time. And it will get worse because the we'll be able to define worse. It will get worse because the strain on healthcare um, is cumulative. In other words, you're just the more you put on it, the worse it gets for everyone. Um, and um, and you know we don't have a lot of federal guidance. But you know when people ask me sort of how long will it be like this? You know if you look at the public health answer, that's or the 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 health and science answer, that's you know, either very good treatment or 18 months away with a vaccine and it's not, you know, vaccine and distribution. But, you know, I think this two week thing that that you're seeing in some of the federal documents is is a crock. I mean, it's just we just have to talk honestly, like 
This, this the, the social, we don't know what the social distancing is work, working. We'll know a lot more in two weeks. But if, if we're doing it right, remember everyone, a, flat, a flattened uh, a curve is longer. In other words, if we're doing good, this is it. So I just wish someone would talk honestly, someone with a much greater podium than me and Sharon, no offense to both of us, to any of us, but just honestly, like, this is what pandemic planning is. This is, yeah. it is, this is it. Like, so anyway, so maybe people listening to you will now go jump off, listening to the podcast will now be horrified, but it's just, we got to start preparing people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I know where Ryan is right now. He's under his bed in Brooklyn. Um, uh, uh, and uh, while I resent the notion that you think there could be a platform more influential than Deep State Radio, I take your point. Um, there, there is, uh, you know, like, you know, presidential addresses and, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And, you know. Well, the, I mean, I think that's the thing. You know, one of the problems that we've got and, you know, you watch Trump, you know, do these press conferences every day long. Uh, is is that, and you watch the stock market fall throughout all of them, is that if you keep lying to the stock market, the stock market's going to continue to fall. That's if right. you, right. if you, you know, and 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 so will public confidence. The only thing that can restore it is starting to tell the truth. And, you know, I mean, there are a number of subtexts that go on with this disease, which we don't have time to go into here, which should be causing a lot of concern. Um, but, you know, Italy passed uh, China today for the, the most deaths. And Italy has a better health care system than we do. Joe Biden's comments during the last debate, notwithstanding, uh, they have a very good, high quality health care system. Uh, but they've had 3000 deaths. That's the same as 9-11, except they're one sixth the size of the United States. Uh, in China, there's there's data that's showing that some number, 10, 12, 14 percent of people in some parts of Guangdong are getting the disease again. So one of the questions is, does, you know, is that bad testing? Is, is, there, is the immune response not what we think? And the places that we hail as the best responses, Taiwan, Singapore, Hong Kong, all of them are starting, despite their good responses, to have little spikes this week. And so we don't know, you know, this part of being in early days is, is, is the model is incomplete. The data is incomplete, especially in the U.S. where we don't do testing. So, you know, we'll be having this conversation again. I hope we have it again with Juliet and with Jeremy, because you guys have been great. And of well, course, we you. definitely will be having thank it again you. with Ryan, because you're always great, Ryan. And <laughs> uh, um, and we just, you know, advise everybody else, hang in there, do what you can do to take care of yourself, to take care of your family, uh, to take care of your community. Um, and uh, somehow we'll all make it through this. Uh, the best way, I think, is with good information. And that's what we'll try to help dredge up here on our little platform. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.